0: Welcome to the Mobile Home Expert podcast. I'm Jason Sirotin with Mobile Home Park expert, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Hope you are too.
0: I am. Thank you. Well, today I'm really excited about this. We're looking at another chapter of your book, the uh, Mobile Home Park uh, Manifesto. That is the proper title, right? I didn't butcher it.
1: Yep, the Mobile Home Park Manifesto.
0: It sounds slightly creepy, which I like. <laughs> Anything with the word manifesto <laughs> since the Unabomber has always sounded creepy to me. But I like what you... Yeah, I mean,
1: but my, my point behind adding it was, you know, it's it's not a how-to guide. It's really my philosophy guide on how to own a park and how to be successful. So when you add kind of philosophy to it, it becomes more of a manifesto.
0: Absolutely. So what I've, I love about this chapter is you break it down into three sections, and uh, it's uh, off of one of my favorite Westerns, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So today, folks, um, we're going to be uncovering the good things about owning a mobile home park, the bad things about owning a mobile home park, and the ugly things about owning a mobile home park. So, Glenn, why don't you just start us off with kind of an, an introduction to what this chapter kind of reflects on and, and what, what you were trying to do with it.
1: Sure. So when I was putting this chapter together, I was thinking of my experience as a, a former park owner and then my experience as a broker who has probably been to more parks than you could possibly imagine. And I uh, it's I had seen every side of a park at this point and I still continue to find new ones that surprise me. I go, Oh really? That's how you're doing that there and it's uh it's amusing and sometimes concerning. Um but when I bought my park, this was definitely something I wish I had been more aware of. Um granted I'd already known that, you know, from from you know just how people talk about trailer parks back then. Oh, they're always kind of rough, and you know you you have you know lower lower quality you know people for whatever that means. And you know so there was that expectation in there. But you know me, I've always I've always kind of given the benefit of the doubt and said, well you know I'll, I'll I'll look at these things. And when I when I got that first park of mine, I just assumed that you know people were, would treat me nicely because I was treating them. Fairly, and boy, was I wrong. (laughs) So, you know, part of part of part of my uh, experience has been with tenants that were poorly vetted. There's almost just, you know, it could really quickly turn into an ugly situation. And if you vet your tenants really well, chances are you're going to have a good situation. Um, And somewhere in between is is the spectrum. And so, the first thing you have to understand is really, you know, what to expect getting into these things. And and, uh, you know, I'll tell you this one time I was driving through, I was driving up to a park for an evaluation and I drive through the city. It was a nice, I think it was a, a, somewhere in the, the Greensboro, North Carolina markets and, I'm um, driving up and I pulled down this, this, this gravel road to where the park was. And immediately you, you realize, oh, this is one of those riffraff parks. No problem. Okay. And I'm going through this park and there's skirts missing off of, you know, the trailers, and there's, you know, uh, uh, rusty roofs everywhere, and the, the, the gravel road is, like, bumpy as, as bumpy can be. And I, I come up to the first tenant, who's not in her house, and she's uh, a, a mother sitting on a porch, and then her child, quite literally 50, 100 feet away from her at the front of the driveway, and uh, sipping on what I could only presume... Was a gas can? It was getting ready. to oh my Gas God. can. I'm hoping. I'm hoping there was nothing in there. I quickly honk my horn and point at her kid, and then she was like, "Oh, it happens all the time, you know." And I'm like, "Hey, yeah, yeah." So I knew what I was getting into evaluating that part. But that's the kind of like stuff you run into, uh, and that's like that's the middle ground stuff. That's the stuff that shouldn't bother you beyond just like, "Wow, that just happened," um, but it does set a mm, idea that there's going to be other problems in this park if this is going on. Uh, uh, yet another park I, I sold I was in, um, in uh, somewhere in the Rocky Mount uh, MSA of North Carolina, and you can immediately tell, driving into this park, that it was probably a dangerous park. And that, that ended up being true when we ran the police records eventually, and, and from what the owner was telling us, that he had transitioned the park from being a gangbanger park into being you know just retirees but uh, i don't think the transition was done and you know yet even worse you go out you know i was out in the midwest looking at a park and during the the walk during the the inspections of the things you know it was like oh what's going on with that trailer it looks you know like it's down or something and the owner was telling me oh well there was a meth lab there and it exploded <laughs> You know, it's like oh my these things really do happen uh, i was selling a park um uh, somewhere in, in southern uh, uh well in the atlanta market of, of georgia somewhere and the another gangbanger park and one of the guys that was uh, uh going through there was actually assaulted i wasn't there for this but it was actually assaulted by one of the tenants for driving through the park and you know that park had a wrap sheet this was you know it would hit the floor from from your desk it was uh uh, you know these things can get real bad real quick, and once they get that bad, they're really losing value, and they're going to be really hard to sell. And you're really going to have to lower your expectations. Um, of course, I've been to beautiful parks all over the place that are absolutely some place I would not mind if my mama lived. In.
0: Right, and that's important. He was,
1: you know, and 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 so you know some of these parks are. are beautifully paved and landscaped and the homes are in great condition and you can tell there's a sense of community and, you know, you can tell it's a safe environment and that's, you know, that's refreshing to see. And we're seeing more and more of those actually come about nowadays because a lot of people have taken uh, a lot of these older, more worn parks and have transitioned a lot of them. Um, But it takes, it takes a monumental effort to transition a park. And the, the ones that are nice, and clean, and you would be okay with your mom living there, those ones are going to sell for a premium, obviously. And they're probably making more money and all the other stuff that would make sense that wouldn't give you too much of a headache on your time value headache kind of, you know, uh, balance there. Right. So, you know, that's that's kind of what to expect coming into it. Right?
0: Well, let's well let's um, talk about that. Let, I mean, a lot of that sounded – shady and there were some really nice parts but let's let i think this is a perfect time to focus on well i mean you know that going into the mobile home park space that you know they aren't the most savory areas and some of them are are not going to be great but let's talk about the good um and i think you have a really interesting ethical approach to this as well that i would like to touch on too so take away the good glenn show us what's up sure So
1: the good stuff, you know, look, if you buy a nice park and you run it properly, you vet your tenants properly, you're going to be rewarded and you're going to get plenty of cash flow from day one and you're going to be able to grow that cash flow year over year. You know, sometimes maybe it just keeps up with uh, inflation, but other times you might realize that you're below the market and it's time to do some heavier increases. Um, And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the rent increase. It's just uh, it, it, it matters um, how you deployed that rent increase. And, you know, with, with these parks, uh, when they're good, they can be really good. Like, you know, we're, we're working on a park, Charles and I, right now on, uh, in Florida. And it's a retirement park, and it, it, it prints money for this guy. He's also $150 below market but it prints money for this guy and he's owned it so long. He doesn't, you know, he's not too worried that he's below market and he's like, it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, He gets money every month and it it shows up like clockwork and, you know, he keeps up with the maintenance because he's got a, a a third party that kind of does all the maintenance there for him. And it's an easy deal, but he's now looking at selling and he's like, geez, but that's so easy. How am I going to replace this kind of easy money? And so you know that's that's when you know you got it good is when your your park is not a headache to you and when it just is really turnkey and you've vetted your tenants properly and you've kicked out the riffraff raft, you've cleaned up all of the deferred ugly stuff that's around there and it can be really great. You'll build wealth really fast. And, you know, the, 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 increased incomes that you can apply to these things, or, you know, if you maybe have some vacant spaces, you can build them out. But once you get to a hundred percent, all that's left is just sitting back and hoping that you've done a good process and staying on top of the people that get a little out of line. But when you get it good, it can be real good for you. Um, unfortunately, it just doesn't happen all the time. You know, often things catch you off guard um, and, you know. It, especially for the guys that are maybe in the tertiary markets um, or, or, in a, it, it, guys that lasted like me through this last recession. Um, and, you know, it, it can, things can just catch you off guard. You go through a divorce, maybe your partner dies, maybe, you know, something happens and then, and then all of a sudden you're taking your eye off the ball in this really nice, good turnkey type of park is all of a sudden, you know, take, having a couple hiccups. And, you know, maybe you're a little too lenient in what's acceptable with that. So you can you, you, you look the other way. And then it starts kind of burping. And eventually you got a full-blown problem with your your indigestion caused by the stress that this thing is causing
0: you. Is that taking and, us uh, into the bad? Are we moving into the bad?
1: Yeah, I think that would, you know, start to move you into bad, you know. I mean, okay. Bad, you know, bad is fixable. I mean, everything's fixable, right? But if you take your eyes off of any part... But hard, some things are harder. Some things just hard. And this yeah. business, as I say, every episode is one of the hardest businesses I know of. And it is, you know, even at the best, like this guy I'm talking with, he's 70 years old, and he's like, this money's too easy to walk away from. And But he remembers what the recession felt like, because we talked a lot about that. And even for him, it was hard then. And it, 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 was, it was not as as well-seasoned and turnkey as it is now. Um, and so it can happen at any park at any time. And it, it often has to do with an owner who's become complacent in their situation. And then uh, you start shifting into, into the bad, but you know, a couple of the, the reasons that it's good just to give some bullet points on it real quick. Look, you got cash flow from day one on almost every park you're going to buy, assuming you're buying a park that isn't in downtown New York city or something. Um, and, you know, you have higher than average returns. You have the ability to grow the NOI year over year. You have limited exposure to most down economies, okay, because people will always need housing. And, you know, you have uh, 22 million people in our country living in these things, and that number grows every year. So, oh, and the most, you know, the, 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 one of the last good things about it that nobody talks about a lot, but is really one of the big things, is the barriers to entry. To mobile home park ownership it, it is hard to get into a, to, to own a mobile home park but it's even harder to build one and so these things aren't coming online anymore and uh a few that do are small and they're really reduce of other parks
0: and why is that so, good though you
1: have a real why is that good it means competition can't outpace you ah it means it means that the uh the Uh, uh, builders of mobile home parks can't outbuild themselves like they do with residential apartments and houses every, you know, every cycle. Um, So that's, that's why barriers to entry is a real good one for mobile home park ownership. So those are some of the best reasons in my mind, what makes it good. But then as we transition into the bad, for one reason or another, you find yourself at a bad park, right? Um, Then, you know, what you're kind of having there is, you know, either you took your eye off the ball or you bought a pile of hair and you're now working your way out. it. And, you know, depending on how you got there, you know, you might have, you know, some emotional attachment to the processes and, and you know, the woes, me's and stuff like that. But you still got to put your boots on. You still got to pick yourself back up and you got you to get this thing turned around. Because if it doesn't, doesn't turn around, the bad can quickly turn into the ugly and the ugly can quickly turn into foreclosure. I um, mean that's never fun, and you want to talk about an emotional logjam. I mean, you, you 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 uh, you're just going to be steaming with with stress. Yeah. What, what uh, so,
0: what's a what what like, what is what are a couple like common bad situations, and then what are some common ways to fix those problems?
1: Sure. Um, all right. So a common bad situation is you have risk exposure everywhere, and I mean everywhere with these deals, especially if you didn't do good, due diligence, buying the park, or if you become complacent as a park owner, okay? So and, and, and not to label park-owned homes, what we call POH, uh, which is a, you know more or less a rental unit mobile home, uh, not to label them as good or bad, because they, they have their benefits for sure, uh, but with park-owned home parks, meaning parks that are mostly rental units, uh, maintenance is Almost always unreported, um, you know, inside the unit. Oh, I got a leak in my roof, or they don't, maybe they don't tell you because they don't care because you didn't vet your tenants and he's kind of a, a sloppy person, right? And a quick little leak that could have taken you know a few hundred bucks at most to fix is now leaked through the roof, is now leaked down your wall, has now ruined your windowsill jams, has now ruined your your outlets that are below the window, it has now ruined your your carpet or your flooring, and it has now also ruined your subfloor. On a matter of, you know, a month or two or three, these things can happen because a lot of these homes are built with OSP and it doesn't tolerate water well. And, um, you know, that quickly becomes a few thousand-dollar thing. So unexpected maintenance costs from not being diligent on, you know, on your maintenance is one of the bad things because it really can can slide into a larger number very quickly. Um, Some of the other stuff is that that makes it bad, but it also – gives us some kind of barriers to entry is that getting conventional debt, meaning going to a bank and saying, Hey, I want a loan is so much harder with a mobile home park than with any other real estate vertical. Uh, banks are very reluctant to loan on a mobile home park in general. That said, there are some that are specializing and right now, this year, there's more now than there ever have been, but don't kid yourself. It's like jumping through a thousand hoops to get to the finish line.
0: And how do you, get? Uh, how do you get, how do you solve that
1: problem? Sometimes it can't be sold. Sometimes, sometimes you just pay cash. And of all the deals I sell, and I don't care if it's a two hundred and fifty-five thousand dollar deal, I don't care if it's a twenty-five million dollar deal. All the deals I sell, about sixty to seventy percent of them are sold in cash. Meaning somebody is going to outbid you and pay cash to take this thing down, because they know that the bank is probably not going to finance it, but they're okay with that. They'll. Uh, They'll finance. They'll pay the park, build the books and records, re- repair all the deferred maintenance, get everything prim and proper, and then in a year or two go and refinance. Because um, refinancing a park is is still not easy, but it's a lot easier than getting the initial bank loan. Um, so, you know that's 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 some risk exposure there. Um, and the bad, you know, another, one of the real bad things about this, and and it's it still it still happens today. In the, you know, everybody's trying to make a bucket and we all get it, but there's a lot of fraud in this business, um, especially during the due diligence process off, you know, not often, often, but, you know, enough that I've seen where it's like, there's clearly two sets of books, you know, and uh, there's the real numbers and the numbers that the seller is showing the buyer. And, um, you know, it's hard to uncover when everything's written in, in pencil and everything's written on spreadsheets, you know, that, that they're mom collects the rent and writes a number down and their their brother does the accounting and it's all just handwritten stuff you know it could be you know you could find yourself buying something that that wasn't exactly as well performing as you may have thought uh, for instance the uh sold a portfolio in um, the lumberton market last year and the guys that they bought it from um you know, had actually fraud, You know, committed fraud with. The, you know, in selling it to them. They they showed them a set of books that uh, the Jeez. park could never have been performing at. But uh, what a bunch of a scumbags! That. Yeah, and, and they ended up having to take a, a judgment out on the people that they. You know that sold that, that them the park.
0: But how do wouldn't. you protect yourself from that? That seems ugly. That might go in the ugly category.
1: Yeah, That's, <laughs> it, it's ugly. Okay, it, it starts in bad. Well, it starts
0: in bad because. It was a bad due diligence, and then that's what causes it to go ugly. Right?
1: Yep, it definitely adds to it, right? So you have, you know, owners typically have very limited books and records to start, so you're making a lot of assumptions. Kind of like what we talked about in that last episode where there's, you know, if a buyer's making assumptions, he's he's probably making assumptions on the low end, but he still could be making wrong assumptions. And, you know, you, you have to kind of fill in a lot of blanks. You really have to understand how to do due diligence properly and not be lazy with it, or you're going to be making assumptions that could cost you. Um, and to complicate the matter, this, you know, our business is a cash business most of the time. I and mean, There's been a huge transition this last few years over to um, digital, you know, uh, uh, digital payments and, uh, you know, insisting on just money orders and stuff like that. But, you know, historically, it's been a cash business. Tenants pay their $300 or $200 or whatever it is to the landlord in cash. And I know for sure, like when I had it, you know, sometimes the cash maybe didn't all make it into the bank account uh, for one reason or another. And it maybe wasn't recorded properly. And, you know, so then a buyer has to take my word for it. That oh no 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 Johnny always pays in cash and I just use his cash to buy you know supplies for the park but that money's really there
0: oh my god and so
1: <laughs> right it's it, it's it, it's uh I was kicking myself for it because when I sold my park I had to meet market I could improve my income as well and and you know that was that was at the end of the recession and it was a real pain in my butt you know and I and I thought I was a smart guy right um, <laughs> right but, well know, we all learn you know, uh, it, we all learn so you know those are some of the the bad sides of it so Um, so where does it get ugly
0: one more bad bad. okay so
1: it gets ugly it almost always this is a good transition you know it it the ugly starts unfortunately with the owner or previous owner and it often boils down to that tenant that they brought into that park um often myself included at times would see a guy pull up in a nice car who comes out somehow has a pile of cash in his hand and hey, look, uh, I need to rent the unit, I need to move in fast. Here's you know two thousand dollars for the next you know couple months and, and you can you know uh, I'll prepay my rents or whatever. And you know if you've been struggling with occupancy and you've been you know barely cash flowing, you'd say, nah, what's the worst that can happen? And so you know, oh, he's bad. I'll just evict him, right? Well, yeah, it doesn't always work out so easy. Right? So well, you take evicting's water hard. Cash, right? Evicting's not the easiest. Even in the South, where we're we're pretty eviction friendly, um, it's still a real pain in the butt. Uh, especially in the Northeast and, and California, man. Like, oof, you bet that wrong tenant. That guy could be there for easily six months without paying rent. In the south, at least we, we usually can can get somebody out in thirty to sixty days, and that's not terrible. But it's still a headache. But if yeah. you don't vet, so so they don't they, they let this guy with his cash move in. They don't do the application check, and you know he says he's a landscaper or something or whatever. And you know you, you don't really vet him well. Next thing you know, you have a you know a potential person in the park who's going to ruin your park. And in, in my case, I've done that before. And before I knew it, I had a whole park full of crackheads. And I'm not being, you know, facetious. I'm being literal. I had a whole park that was not on crack. And then a month later, I had a whole park that was pretty much on crack. And, um, you know, obviously, I let this, this guy with the nice car who did landscaping in the water cash move in. Now, of course, I never saw him go to work. His lawn was always, you know, overgrown. And uh, I made me say, shoot, I just put in a drug dealer. I know I did. And, and uh, then everybody be, you know, was on the crack. <laughs> and by, by the 30 days that I wised up to this, I said, man, you are out of here, and you know he wouldn't move. Uh, right? He's like, no, you can't evict me. Um, well, I, I I can, and I'll refund your money, and you're getting out of here. And I had to go through a whole process to get him out of there, and it was a real pain in my butt. By the time he got out of there, it was you know maybe sixty days later, and and does it the, did, is it uh,
0: scary too? I mean, you're dealing with oh yeah, you know people you're dealing with,
1: with, with you know, I'll, criminals. I'll tell you how this ended. Um, so, you know, the whole park at this point, not the whole park, I mean, I still had some good tenants, but basically out of my 30 something tenants, I had 20 something crackheads and, uh, and that was by the, you know, 90 days now into this thing and nobody's paying their rent. And, and I, I did get that guy out, but the next lady in line was like, I know how to do this. We can all get free rent. We'll just keep, you know, damaging the septic system and say, it's not safe to, you know, deliver. So I'm not paying my rent until it's fixed. And, Boy, for like a few months, I got hammered by this stuff until I finally got, I, I said, one day enough's enough. Nobody's on a lease. 30-day notice to, the, to almost everybody in the park, and I had to kick every single person out other than five or six people.
0: Did they destroy and, your, your places?
1: No, oh, they were destroyed. Some people had taken dirty diapers and smeared them on the walls. Oh, other people my had, God. Had, I mean, they took all their dirty this laundry is truly the and ugly. with them and, and, <laughs> and then peed all over their laundry and, you know, just left it in there for days, locked up and dog poop everywhere. And this wasn't one specific unit. Okay. Right. <laughs> this is like, what do you what do,
0: man? Well, that is, begins. but see, and that is, I think where, you know, people like me are getting value out of the podcast. Cause you go, well, these things are preventable. You know, you can know the signs and look for copycats of these specific demographics, and do your best to stay away. And will some slip through the cracks? Yeah, shit happens. But for the most part, that's what's great about this podcast is we're learning through your mistakes. So thank you, Glenn. <laughs> really appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's uh, you know,
1: let my failures be your successes, I guess. But uh, it's, <laughs> so, you know, well, How it's do you? But how do you deal with it? Events. Yeah. Yeah, so it was cleaning up that kind of mess, you know, it cost me, it cost me, it cost me uh, almost everything because it happened to be in 2010. Okay. And if you remember 2010, that wasn't the, the best year I don't Not think I've ever had.
0: Not a, a great year. <laughs> you
1: know, um, and so I now just lost 90% of my, you know, 80% of my parks income. Okay. Even though they weren't paying, I mean, I was still getting some money out of these guys. Right. And uh, then I had all these massive repairs to fix these units. Then I, uh, the city decided to expand their their city limits and incorporate my park into their town, into the city, causing me having a higher tax base. And then, like most small cities will do, they chair, figure out ways to create new revenue, so they they increase their city limits, and then brought City Soar to my park, and I had septic there. And while it, City Soar is probably better than septic, septic's a lot cheaper. And when they bring you city sewer, you have to pay what's called a cap fee. And in my case, I had to pay 30-something cap fees of $2,500 a piece. Oh. Um, and they don't, they don't give you much room to pay that. It's, it's, it's mandated. You have to pay it, and they can really shut you down if you don't pay it. And uh, I fussed and argued and did what I could, but no, no love. And I had to pay this thing. That was almost $90,000 to get this city sewer thing hooked up. And I didn't have the money. I had to refinance my farm, my personal home, and had to pay that. And then, of course, you know that was putting me on a very slippery slope. I almost, by the end of that year, had lost my personal home and the farm, and barely squeaked out of, my, squeaked myself out of the foreclosure notices, and managed to be able to recover. But let that be a real warning: what happens during a recession if you're not prepared and you've got all these other negative factors that could happen and, and i'll tell you i didn't buy an ugly park when i bought it it was a decent park wasn't a good park but it was a decent park and i thought i could make it a good park but you know you try hard enough for long enough, you'll get there. But sometimes the process takes. a
0: minute. So, Glenn, word,
1: I got word, I, I got to ask. No, I mean, I'm
0: sure people who hear and, and you know, there's a reason this is called the good, the bad, and the ugly. They hear this ugly stuff. What in the hell made you decide to stay in the business, and like keep right? pushing?
1: <laughs> well, because you know, like most of us who enter a crazy business like this, we 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 tend to see the end of the rainbow, right? We tend to say, hey. There's a clear path to, to that pile of gold over there. And uh, I, I, if you have the endurance and wherewithal and in the intelligence to be adaptable to the situations, uh, you'll get there. Because this business can get you there. I, I see people make billions of dollars in this business every day. Um, we all got some crazy war stories about it. But, uh, but that's
0: every business, I guess. I guess this just that, seems... That's
1: probably every business, It right? is.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, this seems... I mean, I'm involved in a lot of businesses and there's been some really hard times, but I think what makes it, I mean, and sometimes way more expensive than $90,000 for a payout, but, you know, you look at it and I think you start putting feces and urine and, you know, all of that gross stuff in it, the ugly stuff, it becomes more unattractive. But I guess in an essence, it's just like every business, except this one has visible shit you can see.
1: Yep. And, you know, and, and it, it, it can be scary, but that's why we, we tend to have a larger yield than if you were to buy, you know, some uh, a land lease for a Wells Fargo, uh, you know, that's on a 30 or 20 year, you know, corporately sponsored, you know, deal where you're only going to make 4%, 5%, something like that, or an apartment building where you're only going to make 4, 5, 6% and uh, have limited rent growth and limited upside. So it's risk and reward, but it is definitely risk and there's definitely reward. (laughs) So it's, um, you know, there's probably an easier way to make a buck. But if you're like me and you found yourself in this situation, you're like, well, this is the way I want to make my buck. So we're going to figure out how to do it. And and I'm hoping to be able to give some guidance on guys to avoid some of these kind of ridiculously just no reason to be in this situation type of situations. Uh, it just had a little bit of previous knowledge on how to avoid.
0: Them. Yeah. And, and we can't thank you enough for, for uh, taking on the hardships for us and teaching <laughs> and teaching us all so that we don't have to go through it. Um, so, it, Glenn, I, you know, I'm going to say this because I think you'll agree. That if anybody has is in a position of the good, the bad or the ugly and they want to chat with you about it and get your opinion on it, they can call you and email you and chat with you about it.
1: At any time of the day. I am available almost every day, Friday, Monday through Friday from seven AM to seven PM. And trust me, people call me earlier and people call me later too. Absolutely. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully I've been through enough of the ringer that I can point out. Plenty of red flags for you when you first start looking at your park to purchase because that's uh, you know I love to pop balloons and uh, I like looking for red flags
0: and and you, um, and you do I'm this for free right
1: and I do this for free that's correct it's uh, and you play the long game. The services I do yep yep it's the long game I'm hoping by giving you quality service and, and, and honest service and and service that is timely. And you'll see that uh, I, I kind of want to be around in this business for a long time, and, and I'm hoping that you'll be a client of mine for a long time as well.
0: And you can learn more about Glenn at themhpexpert.com. Tons of blogs and resources on the site. You can reach Glenn at gesterson. uh Sorry, gesterson at themhpexpert.com. And, Glenn, what is the best phone number
1: to reach you at? Call me anytime on my cell phone, 423-483-0492. I'm almost always on the phone, but I'll send you a text message if I am, and I will call you back most of the time the same day.
0: For the Mobile Home Expert Podcast, I'm Jason Sroton with Glenn Esterson. We'll see you next time.